This is a podcast from ABC Overnights. Here's Michael Pavlich. Mark Kopolov is a Beatles fan. He's a community radio broadcaster with Melbourne's J-Air88FM. And he joins us on the program this morning. He's a bit of a Beatles tragic, they tell me. G'day, Mark. Oh, hey, Pav. How are you going? Yeah, good, thanks. How about you? Yeah, yeah. not used to being up at this time, so I hope my brain's working. All right, no worries. <laughs> um, I, I believe you used to work at Southern FM. Oh, yes, for 22 years. Okay. I was a presenter there. I did a program, we... did a program yeah. there for a few years ago. I don't know if you remember or not. Yes, yes, oh, I do. Oh, excellent. Funny, yeah. All right, great. Yeah. Now, did, have you yes. managed to get along to the concerts this time around? Um, definitely going um, late, later this week, yes, because oh, yeah. um, we're, we're up in Sydney. We moved to Sydney. Okay. Um, that's why I had to move from Southern FM. <laughs> right. So you'd be very excited? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I've got mates in Melbourne who've been and went to the Melbourne concert. You, you went yourself, didn't you? I did, and it was fantastic. Yeah? Yeah, no. Great reports, great reports. Oh, I went 81. To the, oh, amazing. I went to the one, the last one as well, so obviously I am a bit of a fan, you'd have to say. Mind <laughs> you, if you know, if John Lennon had been alive and he had come out, I would have uh, greeted it with the same enthusiasm. It, it really was an incredible mixture of talent with the Beatles, four amazingly talented individuals who all came together. And, you know, it was really a point in time. It wasn't a point in evolution that brought us the Beatles. And do you think, Mark, we'll ever see another band like that again? Well, can I just answer it this way? Um, back in the 70s, an, an American record executive said, bring me a band as good or better than the Beatles and I'll give you a blank check. <laughs> uh, obviously, so uh, I think nobody, that ever, nobody ever found one. <laughs> Well, Pav, when you think about it, they broke up 53 years ago and I just think it was a, a freak of nature that, um, well, especially John and Paul, um, look, I, I, you can have the hottest band on earth, players, you know, best musos, but if you don't have the songs, mm. you've got, you got nothing in my opinion. And so, no, um, I mean, they're great songwriters around, you know, they always have been, but to me, nothing that compares to Lennon and McCartney. Look, I don't think if you could take if you took a single component out of the Beatles, uh, they would not be the same. I think they're so reliant on each no. other, the four of them. I mean, Ringo was an exceptionally good drummer. A lot of people sort of pay out on Ringo's drumming, but if you ask a drummer, yes. a proper drummer, whether they think he's a good drummer or not, they'll all say resoundingly, yes. He was a jazz drummer, very loose style he had, but he was also very creative, yeah. putting little tom fills here and there and... He was an exceptionally creative and talented drummer. And as well, George Harrison, you know, as well as being an amazing songwriter because he wrote songs like um, Here Comes the Sun and something, uh, mm-hmm. he was a really exceptionally good guitarist as well. Um, and it yes. sort of wasn't for years later that I actually appreciated the work of George Harrison because you don't sort of notice him in there sitting amongst the mix, the way he plays. And it's, it's exceptional mm-hmm. guitar playing, wonderful rhythmic yeah, and lead we- parts. We should have heard more from George. Um, um, I became good friends with Richard Lush, who was a second eng- recording engineer at Abbey Road Studios on about 50 Beatles songs. And he told me the story. You can just imagine this. He'd say the Beatles would come into the studio to work. And he said often George would say, because they sit around with George Martin, their producer, you know, it's, and and they would uh, George would say, Look, guys, I've got a new song. And Richard said they would always say, George, we'll do it at the end of the session, but rarely 
did they have time at the end of the huh. session? So okay. Paul George and, and people who know know this sort of music know that he brought out the brilliant All Things Must Pass set, which were songs that had been squirrelling away during the Beatle era. So Paul George didn't get the the the, um, the opportunity he did. And also, Pav, you said about the four of them, I think Paul McCartney summed it up well. He said, we were like, he said, if you can imagine a box, he said, we were each in the corner. So if you just collapse one of the corners, take it away, the whole thing collapses. Mm. Yep. And can see that, you know, and that's what pretty much happened in the end. In a sense, they just couldn't stay together. I mean, the amount of pressure that would have been on them as individuals and even between the group, uh, the tensions that were starting to rise certainly um, was was unfortunate because someone actually says here, um, why didn't they last longer, Trev wants to know, and I suppose it yeah. was that, that pressure that was on them and the fact that they, they were teenagers basically when they started. And, um, yeah, there, 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 there is a main reason they broke up and that's... Um John Lennon walked into a meeting at Apple headquarters um, one day and said, I want a divorce from the band because he, he was very involved with Yoko. Yeah. Um, and, and each of them had um, projects uh, that they wanted to do. I mean, R- Ringo released his first album, Sentimental Journey, I think only one or two months after the Beatles broke up. So they just all wanted to do their own thing. It's, it's yeah. very sad. Look, it is very <laughs> well, sad. But as I said, there was enormous pressure on them all as individuals. But yes. yeah, and, and it comes out in that uh, the movie that we've seen that's come out recently. Um, yes, the long movie that documents their time in the studio yes. together, and you could see the tensions in there. And even part, as part of that movie, they had to sort of go and get George Harrison back into the band because you could see that he was dissatisfied. Yes. So yes. obviously a difficult thing for them to keep going. That sort of pressure, that sort of output. But when they, um, you know, when they did finish the Beatles. They certainly all had their own successful solo careers, perhaps not Ringo as much as the others, but he, he, <laughs> even he had yeah. some great songs with Photograph and a number of other hits. So they certainly kicked on. It Don't Come Easy. It Don't Come Easy, yeah, another great one. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and they had some good ones. But, I mean, uh, what I would have loved to have said to them, I mean, it's fantasy world, I would have said to them, okay, guys, you all want to do your projects, but the world needs you. How about you all have a break for a year? Come back in a year and we and you do another album. I just wish they would have done that. Maybe they did discuss it, but that, that would have been great if they could have done that. Yeah, look, it could have been, but there was obviously some tension there. I know when George launched his solo career, he was very disappointed that a couple of the other Beatles didn't help him out with promoting it. Um, so yes, the, obviously the bad yes. blood ran pretty thick there and they weren't able to overcome those differences Know, through the 70s, which was very disappointing. We're talking to Mark Kopolov this morning, Beatles fan, Beatles tragic and community radio broadcaster. <laughs> uh, look, Mark... Uh, I'd rather uh, be Beatles specialist, but that's okay. Okay, be well, tragic. Beatles specialist <laughs> slash tragic. I'm a, I'm a Beatles tragic, Mark. Uh, look, I've got a, a text here from Dave. It says, this is a really good point. It's too hard to predict whether there can be another prodigious or creative band like the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. Technology has a lot to do with it as well. Remembering by the time they broke up, there was only an eight-track recording machine available. Mm -hmm. And why is that important? It forced musicians to play and write more collectively due to recording limitations. Now you can make hundreds of tracks in the palm of your hand with samples, etc., which makes creative laziness. I could go on. (laughs) Best wishes, Dave and Cremorne. I agree with a lot of what you're saying there, Dave. Uh, was the fact that technology certainly was a component in their success, not only the in- improved technology that came with multi-track recording, but also things like synthesizers were brought into their music a, a little bit later in the piece. But it was that uh, the fact that 
the technology is different now. The fact that we've gone back to almost individual people composing music rather than collectively composing it as a band. Um, I, I, and well, I do think that's a component in this as well, uh, there, Mark. Yeah, well, as far as the recording goes, um, Jeff Emmerich was their prime um, sound engineer and he was an absolute genius. Um, the first day he was a recording engineer um, was um, on the song Tomorrow Never Knows of Revolver and the Beatles said to him, or John, sorry, John Lennon said, I want, I want my voice to sound as though I'm, I'm on the top of a mountain and there are llamas everywhere making noise. And Jeff did it. He got incredible sounds out of a four-track machine. Mm. And, and, and I just want to make one more point about regarding your question, Pav, about whether the, there'll be another Beatles. Um, if, if you sort of step back from the Beatles, there was this magic combination behind the scenes. And I'll just give you an example. Their producer, George Martin, um, his label was a comedy label, and yeah. he was a classical fan. Their manager, Brian Epstein, was into ballet and opera. None of the Beatles ever had a music lesson in their life except Paul. He had a couple of piano lessons when he was young, and that was it. So on paper, you just would have said, oh, forget it. I'm not interested in these guys. So there's some sort of magic that happened. It was a combination. It wasn't just the Beatles. It was also the people around them. So you'd have to get that magic happening again to get another band like yeah, the Beatles. Yeah. Certainly George Martin considered the fifth Beatle a huge component in the equation as well. You're definitely oh, right yeah. about that. As, as, as the engineers, a lot of the producers that worked with them, but certainly George and, and their manager were a, mm. a fifth and sixth part of the combination oh, almost yeah. and an important part yes. of it all. Uh, let's have a chat to Phil. G'day, Phil. G'day. Um, my f- three favourite groups are the Beatles, Moody Blues and Yes with John Anderson. But we had a Dominican nun who used to be in charge of our church music. And in the 60s, she lived in a closed um, religious convent. She had heard over the grapevine about a group called the Beatles, but it wasn't until a series came out about the Beatles in the 1990s called An Anthology of the Beatles, I think it was a television series, yep. that she made past the remark of how much she had no idea how good the music was in terms of melody, harmony and composition. And I thought that was praise indeed for these uh, 20th century Mozarts and Beethovens. That's fantastic. You've got to like some of the Dominican nuns, Phil. <laughs> we used to have one that rang, that rang the program all the time. Uh, oh, obviously gracious. gave you a good education. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Uh, i got a text here that says, uh, uh, we have already have a band who surpassed the Beatles. They were called the Ruttles, Selfie. <laughs> 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 Who, of course, was a Beatles uh, comedy tribute band mm. sort of thing. Uh, the Beatles broke up 50 years ago, but the Stones are still going, just saying, says Tom in Werribee. I mean, they're often compared, aren't they, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, perhaps a little bit unfairly, and I, but I made the point before that a lot of people don't know this, but the Beatles, uh, or Paul McCartney and John Lennon, or both of them wrote the Rolling Stones' first top ten hit, didn't they? Yes, they did. I want to be a man. That's right. So, mm-hmm. uh, and the two careers, they helped each other out quite a bit, and I don't think they were even that competitive amongst each other, more supportive, if anything. Uh, look, they were good friends, and look, the press beefed up the you know Stones versus the Beatles. But as Paul McCartney said, the real competition for the Beatles was Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. Yeah. He was writing songs like "God Only Knows" and "Good Vibrations," 
Um, I mean, the, the Stones wrote some great songs too, but they weren't really their music um, competitors. And yeah, they were friends. I mean, Mick Jagger said to said to John and Paul one day, "Look, you know, we we need some sort of a hit." And John and Paul just yeah, apparently just went into the corner of this um, place <laughs> so they were at and just rattled off, "I want to be a man." So they were good mates. I saw a lovely photo the other day with uh, Ron Wood. Uh, Keith Richards and Mick Jagger standing with Paul McCartney all together the four yes. of them and it was a lovely yes, shot. Yeah. Hey, hello, Ian. Hello, how are you, mate? Uh, yeah, good, thanks. Uh, hi, what did you want to say? Well, Ringo's a pretty famous guy. He might have you know, entertained the teenagers, but boy, oh boy, has he entertained the kids over the years with his narration of Thomas the Tank Engine. A, a very clever man, Ian. Yeah, and uh, to, to utilise that, Skill was quite amazing. Yeah, I agree with him. And he's got a very distinctive voice too, so it was quite obviously him, wasn't it? Yeah, well, a lot of kids have benefited from it over the years. Yeah. I'm That's with you. That's for sure. A, I suppose a, no one could have predicted that Ringo would go and be the voice of Thomas the Tank Engine, <laughs> Mark. No, no, exactly. And he's got that nasally sound and, gee, I mean, he's still going. It's, it's amazing. I, I had the great pleasure of interviewing Ringo. Yep. A long time ago, about one of his CDs, and no, he's very friendly. And look, they're all they're all nice guys. My, my experience of look, um, I've been very lucky to have. I've interviewed over a hundred great artists, and my theory is the nicer they are, the further up the tree they go. And that goes, I suppose, for not just the music industry, but for any industry. Yeah, I always noticed. Uh, I remember uh, Clark Hansen, the great uh, ABC sport broadcaster, a workshop he one mm. day he said uh, someone asked him the question, you know, uh, who's Who's got the most attitude of all the people you've interviewed? And he said, <laughs> generally speaking, the people who are at the top of the, their game, they're usually really nice and approachable and mm-hmm. you know, there's no BS with them. Whereas yeah. uh, the people who are clawing their way over each other to get to the top, <laughs> they it's tend wrong. to be a little bit rude, arrogant, and have big tickets on themselves. So, and I, I assume it's uh, the same. It is a bit the same with music as well. Not always. Not a, not a blanket rule, but just an interesting observation. Um, well, I, I I never had I never had any issues. I thought I was going to have an issue because I got to interview Phil Everly and, and a long time ago. Yeah. And um, he said to me before we went on air, he said, "If you bring up about my brother and I having a fallout for a long time, I thought he was going to say I'm going to hang up the phone." He said, "I just won't discuss it." And I said, "Phil, my mo is never discuss uh, my guests' private lives, so that was good." But that, there were no no issues across the. 100-plus people, they're all very, very friendly. I've got a text here. Oh, I hadn't heard about this. I'm not, uh, Bill suggests that, uh, that when uh, when the Beatles were in Australia, their first tour here, um, that John Lennon had a bit of a fling with the rather prominent Australian designer. Do you know anything about that? Sure do. Okay. <laughs> Was it true? I don't know if you want me to name her. Well, is it true? She's prominent. Yeah, she's prominent. It is true, It yes. is true, okay. Yes, well, you it go is true. Then if you think it's true, and it's, uh, it is worth mentioning, I suppose. Okay, it was Jenny Key, the designer. Right, and so John Lennon had a bit of a fling with her. Well, I, um, the thing is that they, they did a lot of flinging. <laughs> of course, they're, I'm <laughs> when, sure. When they're on tour. I mean, Cynthia, John Lennon's wife at the time, apparently she had this rule, very bizarre rule, which was John... I know when you're on tour, you play up, but when you're home, you've got to behave. You've got a son. Right. So, yeah. you know, no, they, they, just, were, they were naughty boys. Mick's just <laughs> telling me that's true about Jenny Key. Jenny's admitted that, so I had no idea. Yep. There you go. Yep. Uh, hello, Sean. 
Good morning, how are we? Yeah, good, thanks. Mate, as far as having another Beatles, mate, it kind of, it kind of happened. They, they changed music as we know it. They revolutionised um, engineering, the sound, how, how yep. these were made, how albums were done. With all that already, already been done and dusted, uh, bands went to replicated, but nowadays it's all on digital. Yeah. They're back in all track days. It wasn't ending like it is now. So, no, there's no way they can be to say ever, ever again. I'm with you. I agree with you, Sean. And it's, I'm really disappointed. Sometimes I've gone some, seen some big bands, big acts these days, and there's so yes. much of the what's coming off stage is coming from sequences or tapes or loops. Yeah. And it always yeah. disappoints me um, when yeah, I see absolutely. that. Yeah, absolutely. You might as and, well and be going to a karaoke bar. That's it. <laughs> and as far as, as far as the animosity they had at the end of their career, um, that one song that Lennon wrote, um, How Do You Sleep About Paul McCartney, that's, that typifies how much they hate each other at the end of the time. Yeah. But, mate, sometimes the best music is made out of hatred. Who knows? Well, true enough. Look, and I think there were songs flying either way. There, I reckon there's a couple of songs yeah. that uh, McCartney wrote which had sort of pointed... Without being obvious, they were pointed. Uh, there's a song called Magneto and Titanium Man. I don't know if you're aware of that song that Paul McCartney did with Wings, but I reckon that might be about some of the internal uh, fractions that were going on uh, in the, between the Beatles as well. Hey, thank you, Sean. Totally agree Thanks, with you, mate. Hey, oh, Sean, just quickly. Yeah, mate. Yep. Uh, you'll be the same as me. I think um, when we talk about 100 years' time, what people will, will be listening to, yep. I reckon they'll still be listening to the Beatles. Absolutely. Yeah, for that, yeah. Mm. There's, there's a few bands that will be in the same time, maybe maybe the Stones, yep. but they will be number one for a long, like, long enough to be listening to the Beatles. 100%. Totally with you, Sean. Agree there. Which thanks, is, thanks, Sean. Good on you, mate. Have a good day. Which is a pretty big statement to make, Mark, really. Yeah, well, Beethoven, I mean, all the classical. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I just want to make a point about the sound, Pat. Um, this is something I just have discussed endlessly with Richard Lush. Um, I'll take an example. If you put on the track, I saw her standing there, which is pretty much done fairly live. You know, they put down the, the instruments and then the vocals. It's so, it just bursts out of the speakers. And yet I reckon if they recorded it today, they'd put down, you know, 50 tracks and it wouldn't have the same dynamics. So anyway, that's, that's just my, my opinion. <laughs> Uh, someone's tell. This is right. Someone says Paul McCartney plays bass on the new Rolling Stones album, Hackney Diamonds. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> yes, he's, I didn't on, know he's that. on there. Yeah, yeah. It's just released, and he's playing playing on go. it. So he's is... he's all over the place. Amazing. Uh, I've also got this one. Uh, the Beatles had talent, timing, and fairy dust, like other iconic acts, e.g., uh, Marilyn, Kirk. Elvis, etc. The Stones and others have longevity, but not the same impact. Uh, that's a fair comment from Brenda. Hello, Bill in Flemington. <laughs> G'day, Pav and Mark. Do you know that uh, oh. Frank Ifield was really big in uh, England? Yep. You know, the Australian singer, and the beat. That's the first support act they ever did was the Frank Ifield. That's right, Australian singer, which I remember reading yeah. about that. Mm. And there's, yeah. there's post those posters around with Frank Ifield with the big in big letters with underneath yep. it and the Beatles. It's like, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I think some of the supports uh, that, that they did, some yeah. of the supports that were uh, in Australia. To the acts that supported him, Johnny Chester was one of them. Yeah, yeah, Johnny mm-hmm. Chester. Yeah, yeah. There was yeah. A few around. I was just going to say that because yeah, he used to be on three years set. Yeah, yeah. of course they got a uh, McCartney and Lennon had an Irish background, you know, and of course Liverpool's a big place for expat Irish, yeah. you know, and and um, 
Yeah, but I remember that day they came to Melbourne. It was a wet Sunday on mm. 1964. I was 11. <laughs> I can remember Essendon, the crowds. Essendon Airport. Essendon Airport, and then they were on, at the Southern Cross Hotel, and that's when the whole of Burke Street was, uh, you know, the corner there in Exhibition Street, I think it is, from, from memory. And um, it was just a sea of people. I think the only other time it was like that was when Lionel Rose came back. <laughs> it, it just yeah, yeah. it went nuts, absolutely nuts, when the Beatles arrived in Australia. It, 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 everywhere went nuts. They went nuts in America, in, in Asia, in Japan. Uh, they were just a worldwide phenomenon, weren't they? Mark? Well, they made yeah. Well, the thing is that um, they really hit it at two different levels. I mean, people have asked Paul, "How did you deal with all of that?" And he said, "Well, look, it really was like a staircase. You know, they." they I was very lucky. I got to do a nine-hour Beatles tour in Liverpool. So you got to see exactly the workman clubs they, they started at and then suddenly they became um, famous within England because they played the Palladium, the um, famous Royal Variety Show in um, in October 63. And so suddenly Beatlemania hit off. And then, wow, 1964, Ed Sullivan appearance and world fame. So it was like... Paul said they could deal with it because it's just one step at a time. Yeah. I mean, the public, you know, overseas, America or everywhere else, you know, they thought, oh, this band's just come out of nowhere. But they've been they've been working so hard for yeah. years to get known. Look, sometimes I think it, uh, it someone when you're that big a phenomenon uh, that it must mm. take a lot of uh, energy to actually come to terms with who you are and your role in the world. I think uh, Paul McCartney maybe. All of them probably took them a while to grow into who they actually were. But you see Paul McCartney now, he's just so giving of his time. He's just so personable on stage. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's just a really, really nice bloke. And I I imagine, you know, years and years of people hounding him, (laughs) wanting to be his friend, talking (laughs) to him, uh, it wouldn't worn most people down, but it's almost like he's just come to accept it and said, all right, I might as well just be nice to everybody (laughs) because otherwise it's not going to get me anywhere. Well, Pav, I got worn down. I tried for across decades to get an interview with him, but it was impossible to get through his army of people. I got so close. But, yeah, anyway, the trouble with being famous or world famous is um, you can't become unfamous if you want to. Yeah, that's very true. And, yeah, I mean, he was the biggest pop star in the world, or one of them, Mark. So, uh, yeah, I can imagine it's difficult to to get an interview with him. Uh, Actually... Jan's called in. G'day, Jan. You want to talk about Jenny Key as well? Hi. Um, Yes. Look, the controversy over the Beatles uh, and who was better and who did this and who did that is going to rage forever. But in answer to your question, people will still be listening to the Beatles. Each individual band member was a fabulous musician in their own right. And I was... I remember them at the Southern Cross. I remember them coming. (laughs) I remember seeing a number of my friends on the television outside the Southern Cross. I wasn't there. I wasn't allowed by my parents. But um, I always was biased towards George, the quiet one. And, of course, everybody else is either a John or a Paul person. But Ringo, to speak of Ringo, from what I've read, and I do history um, and read stacks, Ringo was always, no matter how many fights and tension and problems have been in the studio, many people not showing up, all of that, Ringo never missed a beat. And he was responsible for 
stopping some of the more volatile um, blow-ups amongst them by starting to drum and drumming loudly until they went and picked up their instruments because <laughs> they couldn't keep yeah. fighting. Look, I've heard this, that Ringo was a bit of a peacemaker, wasn't he, Mark? Yes, he was, um, he, even though he did spit the dummy during the White yeah. Album sessions and walked out because he oh. was sick of the fighting. But uh, There was that as well. I think uh, Paul played drums on one song that he wasn't happy about that either. So, Back in the USSR. Yes, uh, so it wasn't all smooth sailing, but uh, certainly Ringo oh. had, was a much milder temperament, you would have to say, than the others, and yes. I think that came out in their, their personalities. Uh, all right. Uh, it was Jude Sutherland, Kessler. That, does that mean anything to you, Mark? No. No, nor not me. Really. Uh, uh, George, g'day, George. Um, yeah, I can explain who Jude Sutherland Kessler is. It's uh, a ladies' big Beatles expert who's been on with Rod Quinn. Oh, about okay. Gotcha. The 50-year anniversary of all the albums. They've done extensive kind of track-by-track. Thank uh, you for sorting thing. us out on that one, George. Yeah. Good one. That's all right. Um, yeah, just to mention, my, oh, I can also confirm because I've heard Jenny Key talk about her experience with John, and it was, I think, I think it was when she was in London. So uh, it's no secret. So, uh, yeah, no time to tell out of school there. Because uh, you've obviously liked Asian women, as we discovered later. <laughs> um, yeah, I just wanted to uh, ask Mark uh, if he's, I'm sure mm-hmm. he is familiar with the, uh, the Beatles animated cartoon series, which was made in the mid 60s. And uh, quite a bit of it, the animation was done in, uh, in Australia at the, uh, a Transa Park uh, film studio in Francis Forest in Sydney, and uh, it was uh, very popular, even though the Beatles yes. didn't voice the characters, the, the songs of the Beatles, but they were uh, voiced by Paul Fries, uh, who was a very famous uh, American uh, um, uh, voiceover artist, and managed to perfect the Liverpool accent, and Lance Percival, who people recognised if they saw him from a lot of British comedy movies. But uh, it was... Uh, yeah, very, very popular, even though the Beatles didn't like it at first. Well, I think they, they no. kind of liked it later. But, but it's also because the people involved, George Dunning, went on to make Yellow Submarine. They, that's one of the reasons why they didn't at first uh, get involved in Yellow Submarine because they thought it was going to be on that similar silly level as the cartoon series. But uh, when they saw it was a little more ambitious in its scope, they uh, think they, they got involved in that little epilogue that uh, features in it. So, uh, but it but was, actually, it, I think it's all, it's them playing on the theme for that song. That's a great theme music, that one. And it's yeah, actually, it's yeah, actually the Beatles playing for their own cartoon yeah, yeah, theme. Yeah, that's right. All the song. And also, it was a, I, it's how I learned the Beatles songs when I was young, because I was the generation. I was a bit too young to be involved in listening to the radio, but I did watch the TV show, and uh, they had sing-along lyrics on the screen for all the songs. So that's how I think a lot of people of my age and maybe younger actually learned the mm-hmm. Beatles songs so mm-hmm. well and knew them when they grew up. They did. They had the bouncing ball, didn't they? Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so you, we, we were impre- we were you know impregnated against our will. <laughs> we knew the Beatles songs inside out as a result. Hey, have a listen to this, George. <laughs> there you go. That's the theme music, and apparently that that's them actually playing. Believe it or not. Yeah, the flashbacks. You give me flashbacks, man. <laughs> Thanks, George. You're good to talk to you, mate. <laughs> that unmistakable sound of the Rick and Becky guitar. They love them. Nice. They, they were just fantastic. Mark, look, it's wonderful to be able to pay tribute to them, especially with Paul in the country mm-hmm. at the moment. So thank you for joining mm-hmm. us on the program this morning, eh? Much appreciated. Mark Kopolov there, who's a Beatles fan, a Beatles tragic, and a community radio broadcaster in Sydney with a JFM, 88FM.